The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by HubSpot. Imagine growing a business with high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, and wildly happy customers. It's not a miracle. It's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. I'm Rufus Griscom, and this is The Next Big Idea. Today, at number 14 in our countdown of last year's best books, as chosen by our app users, Black and White Thinking by Kevin Dutton. Do you see the world in black and white? You may not think so. You may think your perceptions are nuanced, your opinions technicolored. But research psychologist Kevin Dutton, who spent the last two decades teaching at Oxford and Cambridge, says we are evolutionarily hardwired to think in black and white. We sort our experiences into reductive frames, fight or flight, us versus them, right or wrong. These simple mental divisions may have served us in our ancestral environments, but Kevin says they're too rigid to do as much good as we try to handle the complexities of modern life. Hello, I'm Dr. Kevin Dutton, the author of Black and White Thinking, The Burden of a Binary Brain in a Complex World, and I'm a research psychologist based in Oxford in the United Kingdom. During the course of the next quarter of an hour, I'm going to share five key insights from my book with you. I hope you enjoy them. Insight number one, we're born with a categorization instinct. I think the first key insight that we get from the book is that natural selection has equipped our brains with what I call a categorization instinct. We may see the world in color, but we understand it in black and white. Imagine if you woke up one morning and your brain suddenly lacked the category for a lavatory. Your brain didn't have a toilet. You'd have a very stressful day. And heaven knows what you'd make of that seat that everyone seemed to have in their houses that came with a full tank of water and a built-in sluice. Imagine if you lacked the category for cup. Once you'd boiled the kettle for a coffee, what would you pour the hot water into? The truth is, if we didn't have the ability to make clear distinctions between different objects in our environment, and once we've made those distinctions, if we lack the capacity to store representations of those objects in our memory banks in the form of categories, we wouldn't be able to do anything. We wouldn't quite literally know our asses from our elbows. Simple, everyday example. Imagine going into a library to find a book only to discover that the library doesn't have a classification system in operation. Books are shelved everywhere and anywhere, irrespective of genre or subject matter. Good luck with that. Chess works because the board is black and white. Life works because our brains are black and white. Many years ago, Russia and Finland were renegotiating the border between the two countries, and it just so happened that part of it passed right through the middle of an elderly Finnish farmer's farm. Now, when I say the middle, I mean that quite literally. His farm was in Russia, his cowshed was in Finland. One day, two government officials, one from Finland, the other from Russia, drop in on him unexpectedly. On which side of the border do you wish to live, they ask him. There's a census coming up, and we need to know who's eligible. The farmer weighs up his options. It's a difficult dilemma. He's finished by birth, but the Russian authorities have been good to him over the years, providing him with labour subsidies and free-running water. Anyway, after a few moments, the farmer comes to a decision. Look, he says, I'm immensely grateful for the support that Russia has given me over the years, he explains. She has helped me through some very tough times. However, on reflection and with a heavy heart, I'd like to see out my days in Finland. You see, I'm an old man now, 
and can't take the cold like I used to. Another Russian winter might kill me. This quaint little story contains a profound truth. We think light travels in fast, straight lines. Insight number two. Good psychopaths terrify us because we've only met the bad ones. The second key insight that we get from the book follows on directly from the first. We like to keep our categories nice and neat and tidy. Mess them up and your brain won't thank you for it. Mess them up for others and you're really asking for trouble. When you think about it, it's not all that surprising. Preserving order in the library is our brain's number one priority. If the books aren't where they're supposed to be, then life loses its shape, its regularity. A once familiar environment becomes alien, unpredictable, and navigating it with any degree of confidence becomes impossible. A lovely little experiment that someone did a few years ago demonstrates beautifully just how hard-earned and just how well-defined categories are in our brains, and just how resistant we are to them being messed up. We were talking about cups and toilets just now, and funnily enough, the experiment is directly related. You see, what people had to do was drink water out of a toilet. Now, just for the record, this was a brand new toilet, unused, gleaming, pristine, straight out of the showroom, and the water was completely fresh. But do you think people found it easy? Would you find it easy? I can tell you the answer is no. And the reason for that is simple. Our brains have a category for drinking vessels and toilets most certainly aren't in it. This is why a book I wrote a number of years ago proved so controversial. In The Wisdom of Psychopaths, I argued that certain psychopathic personality characteristics such as ruthlessness and fearlessness could actually be beneficial. The book started a category war. Up until then, we'd seen psychopaths as bad and the rest of us, broadly speaking, as good. But I'd picked up psychopaths and put them on a different shelf, and all hell broke loose. Insight number three. We're all line junkies. Lines are our drug. We cannot live without them. The third key insight that we get from the book is that just as we draw lines that form categorical boundaries between physical objects, the category drinking vessels, for example, does not include toilets, nor nearer the boundary edge would it normally include objects like buckets, vases and jars, we also draw lines in the non-physical world too, between concepts, between left and right in the political sphere, for instance, or between pass and fail in exams. The reason is exactly the same. Reality, unfortunately, is not black and white. It comes in shades of grey, everything from height to IQ to, some might say, even gender, and we need to draw lines in it to turn the grey into black and white to maintain order, to standardise the environment, to manage expectations, and on the basis of those expectations, to reach conclusions, make decisions, and behave rationally. In short then, drawing lines makes life easier. It makes life possible. Sometimes we need to draw them to survive. Here in the UK at the moment, the country is divided up into a tier system based on the severity of COVID restrictions. Each county has been allocated a number ranging from one to four, which determines the degree of social interaction that inhabitants of that county may have with each other. Those lines save lives. But inevitably, drawing such lines can sometimes make us look silly. To continue with the tier system example, 
One village in the south of England happens to straddle the border between two neighbouring counties, each of which falls within a different tier. That Covid fault line running through the middle of the village means that one village pub can remain open, while another must shut up shop. Those lines can ruin livelihoods. And sometimes drawing such lines can simply be flat out wrong. Roping together all conservative Muslims within the category extremists, all Trump supporters within the category ignorant misanthropic racists, or all psychopaths within the category criminals, might save us valuable thinking time. It's definitely the easiest option, but it is also known as stereotyping and can result in bigotry, discrimination and deep societal divisions. Judging the whole room by what we see through the keyhole can often give a false impression, but if we don't have the key to unlock the door, then sometimes it's all we can do. Insight number four. The world's best persuaders, super-suaders, think in black and white. If you want to join them, that's what you've got to do. Key insight number four from black and white thinking is that over and above the many different categories that we have for bigots, extremists, psychopaths, republicans and drinking vessels, there exist three binary supercategories that are the top dogs of the category world. These three binary supercategories correspond to three major turning points in our evolutionary history when our brains, or perhaps I should say our understanding of the world, split in two. The first we share with pretty much every other species within the animal kingdom. Fight or flight. Am I going to eat it? Or is it going to eat me? And it's the fastest category around. Our ancient ancestors didn't have time to sit about wondering whether a rustle in the bushes was a bear or a bit of breeze. Basically, all rustles were stereotyped as bears and you got out of there pronto. Otherwise, you learned the hard way. If you think this means that stereotyping can sometimes be good, then you'd be right. Walk along a dark street at night with four hoodies behind you and you may want to think about crossing over. Walk down the same street on the same night followed by four women in business attire and you wouldn't give it a second thought. But that's another story. The second binary supercategory is us and them and emerged at a time when our prehistoric forebears began living in small tight-knit groups in the wilds of East Africa around six million years ago. The third binary supercategory, right and wrong, developed much more recently, around 100,000 years ago, as an instrument of social control. Once group size began to expand and the relationships between group members grew increasingly more complex, it became really important that individuals couldn't just go off and do what the hell they wanted, but that self-interest be kept in check in order to resolve conflict and keep the group together. Morality a sense of right and wrong, stepped up to the plate to keep us on the straight and narrow. These three binary supercategories, fight, flight, us, them, right, wrong, still dominate our thinking to this day and can be used by skilled persuaders to get us to do their bidding. Consider the polarising rhetoric of Donald Trump. During the 2016 US election campaign, Trump pledged to make America great again. But precisely what kind of America was that? It was an America riddled with anger and fear. Fear that the American way of life was being washed away by a tide of whatever ideological outsiders Trump didn't agree with. Muslims, migrants, Mexicans, the so-called politically correct. For America to be great again, Trump decreed, these groups, no matter what it took, 
had to be excluded through walls, bans on immigration, changes to state legislation, denigration on social media, you name it. Fight versus flight, us versus them, right versus wrong. The three silver bullets, the three evolutionary godfathers of irresistible influence. If you can frame a message so that it appeals to a person's self-interest and makes them want to fight for the cause, if you can construct an argument so that it makes people want to be part of something bigger than themselves, so that it appeals not just to their individual identity, but also to a sense of group identity, if you can put over your point of view so that people feel that it's right to support you or follow you or get behind you, or better still do all three, And irrespective of whether you're right or wrong, people will sit up and listen. You will become a super suader. Insight number five. If life is a picture on a screen, then categories are the pixels that make it up. And our brain has a built-in viewfinder to help us sit at the perfect distance to see what we're seeing most clearly. Last but not least, the fifth key insight from black and white thinking is that for anything in life, for anything you care to mention, there exists an optimal number of categories. Here's an example from the book. Imagine I were giving you directions and I told you to turn right at the end of the road by a square concrete structure with a door, four windows and a driveway that had a mammal which barked, had four legs, fur and a wagging tail in the garden. You'd think I was nuts, right? Why didn't I just tell you to turn left at the house with the dog? Because as soon as I say the words house and dog, your brain will do the rest. It will fill in the picture for you. Now, in contrast, imagine I said, take a right at the vermiculated artisans dwelling with a mansard roof and a Bergamasco shepherd out front. Again, you'd think I was nuts. But this time, instead of being overly general, I'm being overly specific. Sometimes it's good to see things close up. Sometimes they're better further away. Our brain has a built-in viewfinder and adjusts the settings instinctively and automatically to suit what we're looking at without us even noticing. Get those settings wrong and you're going to run into problems. When you boil it down, the function of language is extremely basic. It is really to separate this from that. But too many thises or too few thats and we start running into trouble. Not just when it comes to the simple act of communicating with those around us, but also when it comes to making decisions ourselves. A famous study conducted several years ago now demonstrates this beautifully. Customers in a food store were presented with two displays of jam and were given a coupon entitling them to a $1 discount if they made a purchase. One display contained 24 jams, the other just six. 30% of the customers who saw the smaller selection bought a pot compared to only 3% of those who saw the bigger range. Why? Because the greater the number of alternatives, the more we keep comparing like with like. Faced with a barrage of too many categories to choose from, we start to feel incompetent. Our memory banks get overloaded and simply can't handle it. What was the lavender, lime and licorice conserve like again? I know it was good, but I can't remember why. And we end up making worse decisions than if we had fewer options to choose from. At the end of the day, what makes up the optimal number of categories for anything is usually a trade-off between precision and practicality. In other words, the number that is most useful in any given context, the number our brain's built-in viewfinder selects for us. 
Our category instinct, after all, evolved to simplify the world. Look at the pretty flower, says the little girl to her mother on a walk. Look at that ranunculus glabarimus, says one botanist to another. That's buttercup, by the way. In the same meadow. Probably the best example of all is colour. Languages tend to have thousands of colour words, but only a handful of basic colour terms. English has 11. Red, yellow, green, blue, black, white, grey, orange, brown, pink and purple. Within a certain band of the electromagnetic spectrum, we call a wide range of colours blue because blue does the job. It makes life easier most of the time. It's only when we're trying to find the right shade of blue for our bathroom tiles that we start splitting colour hairs. A Geonodyssey, Lapis Rockpool, Cerulean Rhapsody. Which makes something that happened quite recently rather interesting. An airline has been dubbed as transphobic because in the duty-free trolley, it separates perfumes according to gender, according to the category labels ladies and gentlemen. A reasonable, time-saving policy? Or discrimination, pure and simple? Fair point, guilty as charged, or a minority agenda hijacking public interest. It's an interesting dilemma. I'll let you, the reader, be the judge. And that, folks, concludes my five key insights from black and white thinking. I hope you got something out of them, and I can categorically, irrefutably, incontrovertibly, with zero degrees of ambiguity, recommend the book. Thank you very much for listening. That was Kevin Dutton with five big ideas from his book, Black and White Thinking. You can learn more about Kevin's work at drkevindutton.com. Don't miss the psychopath questionnaire. If black and white thinking can lead you into conflict, tomorrow's book bite from journalist Amanda Ripley can help you get out of it. And if you can't wait until tomorrow to hear your next book bite, why not download the next big idea app? We have hundreds of book bites in there and we're adding new ones every single day. With book bites, you can read a book in the time it takes to buy something you don't need on Amazon. Miss our interview episodes? Don't worry. Our new season starts in February and we've already got a bunch of great guests lined up. Ray Dalio, Jill Lepore, Malcolm Gladwell, Susan Cain. It's going to be special. Oh, by the way, how do you like getting these daily book bites? Send me a note at rufus at nextbigideaclub.com. I'd love to know what you think. I'm Rufus Griscom. Talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow.